want to start with a little bit of a story, and it was a few years ago, and some of you may have heard me tell this story before, but we were out on, I think it was probably a Christian family services or some kind of tournament that we were playing golf, and I was with uh, Glenn Devania. And Glenn and Janice wish they could be back here and be a part of things and are still hoping to get back and be uh, attend services again, but because of their uh, particular uh, health conditions have not been able to do that. But we, uh, we, we're in our foursome together and Glenn hits the ball and Glenn, it was, there was a lake right in front of us and it was a par three there and the green was just beyond the pond or the lake. And uh, the ball went almost straight up in the air when Glenn hit it and came down about 15 feet into the lake. Okay, it wasn't even close to hitting it over and he just turns and he says golf is a social game (laughs) and I just loved that line in that context because he realized in that moment it was so much more than about being successful or his performance or winning that day But he saw the value in that moment of being together, being comrades, of being in relationship. And I want to suggest this morning that uh, as we, let's go ahead and put up the review slide so you can see where we're, we've headed in the, the series. We talked about having a relationship with Jesus Christ in the first couple of weeks, and then our relationship with the Bible, and then last week thinking about prayer, and then today I want us to focus on relationships, and again it fits in so well with Colin's remarks this morning in terms of influencing one another, learning to to love more, uh, love one another, and again, a very touching story there uh, as you went and visited Tom. But I would suggest that like golf, the scriptures teach us that following Jesus is the ultimate social game. Now, some of us are more social than others, right? And some of us have personalities that seem to be built for this social interaction, and it's easy, and for others of us, not so much. As it uh, was pointed out, go ahead and put up the slide there about the too much peopling, Jeff, if you don't mind. This is how some of us feel on Sunday afternoon or really any time we have to interact. I saw a meme earlier this week that's talked about the meet and greet time at church, which some of you actually look forward to and others of you really could do without. And basically, the meme said something, the effect of, okay, at 8 a.m., I have to start psyching myself up for the the 10.15 meet and greet time. And then for the rest of the day, I am recovering from it. Well, I want to tell you something. This city, the city of St. Louis, all the great cities in this country, ranks number two in loneliness. Now, that's by one ranking, and I don't know what all their criteria, and has a lot to do with uh, people that live alone in their home. In other words, one person in a home, followed only by, in this particular study, 
Washington, D.C. And I think about how life is social, and yet social is not always easy. Bob Barker, my wife, was pointing out to me that uh, in The Price is Right, at the end of the uh, show, always had a message. And those of you who watched The Price is Right might know that it was get your pets spayed and neutered. Well, Drew Carey has had the show now for several years. And at the end of the show, he tells his audience, I love you. And I think about that because I believe a bit like an artificial sweetener, we have been artificially socialized through TV and through social media, and we have online friends and digital relationships that sometimes are far easier and far more frequent than our in-person ones. And so in some ways, when we talk about a church body or a church family, it seems like a bit of a relic in 2024. And however, I think about all the positive in the social game that we play, and it's incredible because the number of connections and the ways and the circle of support and the range of support and the types of relationships in this body, it just goes on and on. We've, of course, we've got Sunday morning, but then we've got our ministries that have this network of relationships with our community. And did you know that Larsh, right across the street, who, that takes care of basically a, a adults that are in need and uh, has programming for them, adults that have a difficult time living on their own, uses our building. And uh, in fact, they had a Valentine's Day party just a week ago, and the McPherson and the Jones small group and uh, uh, basically were the hosts for all of the Larsh community. And in fact, since Jeremiah done such a great job with uh, getting ready for the daddy-daughter uh, time together the, just a couple of days before. They just left out all the decorations, and our building was used as this basis of connection. Of course, Barb, on a regular basis, turns in prayer requests that are being surfaced through the food pantry because our food pantry and our food pantry workers realize that giving of food is good, but there, are, there is more. There is more because there's such a deficit of need and maybe loneliness and all kinds of, of things going on in the lives of those clients who come in for food. As Collins already mentioned, I think about our Connect group, and uh, I called Connie Smith uh, just a little over maybe a week ago or two weeks ago, and, she's, and asked her if she's doing okay since she fell. And she said, uh, yeah, I'm, I feel well supported by my Connect group. 
and I think about the circle of friends group, and I think about the mystery meal that's happening this week, and then I think about the pastoral team that we have within this congregation, that it works in conjunction with the elders and Collins and uh, Ben Maringer and Barb Eichley and others are on a constant hunt on who can I be with and encourage and support in their journey, even when they can't be here in this assembly. And then I think about the support and the community that has been formed with the teenagers. And so Rosalind's baptism is not in, in, uh, in, in isolation, but is in the context of a community of believers. And so while I don't know, I didn't see Amy Weiler here today, I know that her or Mary Jo or myself could tell you in the last week the, the response from the church is uncanny as our spouses have been in need. In fact, the response uh, from the church uh, to Becky's surgery has been just fantastic and meal trains. What an ingenious idea. And so Don Cease calls me and he says, well, uh, pastor, I've got a problem. Lily and I, Lily and I have a problem in our marriage. And I said, oh, Don, can I help? And he said, well, we're trying to figure out what to bring you for the meal train and we're not on the same page. <laughs> okay, he, she, he said that the Lillian thinks that I should bring my mother's favorite recipe, it's homemade vegetable soup. But I'm thinking maybe you all at this point would just like a pizza. Could you help solve our marriage problem? And I said, I think we would like the soup. And he said, I'll go back and tell her. <laughs> do we overlook people? Yes, we do. Do we sometimes start out strong and then forget? Absolutely. We don't do this perfectly. And still, there is this amazing support as we are together fulfilling a biblical vision of the gospel, the loving community of faith and the family of God. And countless times through the years, when somebody's been in the hospital, when there's been a funeral here, when there's been some other accident, or tragedy, or depression, or a child that seems to be lost to the world, I've heard, I don't know how I would have done it without the church. Or I don't know how others do it without the church. Golf is a social game. Following Jesus is a social game. And with all of the care of the church that I have described and have experienced, I still want to invite us to take another step and think about something else as it relates to all of this this morning because I believe there are oftentimes still some pieces missing. Let me see if I can share this. 
go ahead and put up the slide of the different uh, levels of relationships if we think about Jesus and the types of relationships that he had and the relationship that he had and you see this on the Sermon on the Mount and Eric pointed this out to me when we were at lunch the other day just hadn't ever quite thought of it this way even though I taught on the passage but on the in the Sermon on the Mount people are coming from all over Galilee people that Jesus doesn't know and that haven't really been under his influence and yet he will say to this crowd, you are the light of the world. As he begins to emanate his influence, and he has this aspirational view, this possibility about these people. Well, then beyond the crowd, we can think about the 72 that are sent out in Luke chapter 10, his disciples that are to carry on his mission. Then we have the 12, of course, and he spends the night in prayer in order to select that 12. And you see this narrowing down. And then there's the three of Peter, James, and John. And there is no doubt that they had some very specific encounters with him, like the transfiguration, and then had instructions from him all the way through the cross that, that very possibly the rest of the 12 or the 72 or the crowd did not receive. And I want to suggest as we continue with this message and build on this platform of the loyalty and the love of this church that we think about some Peter and James and John relationships because I think they're still needed by many of us. And I see these types of relationships as marked by three things and it's very hard to find relationships of this style anywhere. It's relationships that are built on trust and transparency and will lead to transformation, as the scripture says, as iron sharpens iron. And uh, we need a few of our closest circle for this far journey, the this social game. And here's why. Because there is so much more, I believe, to following Jesus than many of us or most of us have even tried. And so if we're going to be invited into this and we want to continue to grow and I'll lay this out because I, so that we don't miss the point and we'll, the, the point was made in the message in that passage in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, that was from the, the, in the message version. I want to point out a few things from the NIV. And I could have gone to Ephesians chapter 1 and seen Paul's prayer as he envisions and wants them to understand the spiritual reality of their lives in relation to the spiritual world. I could have gone to the book of Colossians in Colossians chapter 1 and we could have seen this great, great cosmic vision about how Christ was before uh, creation and then we have creation and then this Christ is going to be in all things and through all things and for all things. But I've chosen 
chosen this morning because of this emphasis on love, Philippians chapter 1 and verses 9 through 11. Let me just make a few remarks after reading this again in the NIV. And this is my prayer, Paul says. He is on his own deathbed trying to figure out whether he is going to go on and be with Christ or will continue on their behalf. And he's speaking to this church that he loves so dearly. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more. And notice how what is this in knowledge, yes, but in depth of insight. And I would love for you to take hold of that word and see that word and say, what, how does that idea that Paul is praying, what relevance does that have to my life? The depth of insight that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. And then verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What in the world is Paul praying? How could we take hold of his prayer? And how could we lay it in our lap here in this congregation? Go back one slide again. Let's look at verses 9 and 10 just a bit longer. And I ask myself, how far along, how far along am I really in this love that Paul is praying? in the love that is found in the Trinity and the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit that is contained in the mind of God as there is this perfect harmony and unity and diversity and cohesion and love. That's love, that love that was outpoured, that, that created all of us, all of creation that came as a result of the Trinity being filled with joy. How much of my life then have, do I really discern the mind of God? That love that was, of course, displayed most vividly in what we do in communion and understood in the person of Jesus Christ, now in the risen Christ that is the Christ of all of the cosmos. And then the next question that, I'm rela that relates to, to, to my own life is who will help me? Who will help me to love like this prayer invites? It's not a generic love. It is a specific love, and it is a personal love. And I would say it is not just personal. It is also a public love. And it's the type of love that's, that's outlined in Romans chapter 8 where Paul talks about uh, the love of God that is wider and higher and deeper. You see, Paul saw it. And we read it, and we are invited to become it. Love much, love well, as the message says. In other words, what would, what would it take if you took your own life and where you are as a lover of God and a lover of people, and I said to you, could you multiply that by 10? This is a theory in business that you say, I am going to think about my business and 10 exit. Okay, not just an incremental 1% 
better this year. That's also a pretty good one if we could make it 1% every day. But to think about how to 10x my business. And here's the thing, those who will think this way really often don't 10x their business, but very rapidly they might 2x it or 3x it because they're thinking differently about how to be, in their business case, change the dynamics of their business to be more profitable. In our case, how might we discern and be the type of lover that is invited by this passage? Love according to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and I believe if you go back and read it, and I would want to discuss it in our small groups this morning for just a minute, that Paul is saying something there that I hadn't noticed until recently, that he is saying that love is greater than worship, love is greater than service, love is greater than doctrine, love is greater than acts of mercy. Who is this God? And how do I get involved with him in this way? And so the passage invites depth of insight or discernment. And what I'm saying with discernment or what I see in discernment in this passage is there are ways to live our life that are okay. There are ways to live our life that are good. There are ways to live our lives that are better. There are the best ways to live our life. And that is what is being invited in Paul's prayer of love. The text says that you may discern what is best and be pure. That word purity, it means inwardly clean. It means, but it's more than a moral purity, though I think it includes that. It is about sincerity. It is about integrity within your own soul. So I think about this as it applies to my own life so, so that I want to have a purity so that money does not control me. I want to have an integrity so that fear doesn't run my life or that anger or that resentment eat me from the inside out or that injustice will harden me or that just life's disappointments won't be what has the upper hand. Or maybe I could throw in one more that amusement won't be my absorbing passion. Because Paul is saying for the day of Christ, there is this forward movement, there is this calling, there is this hope, there is this aspiration of all things in Christ, for Christ, by Christ. That's the outcome. He describes that then, the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And I think we could get lost on a word like righteousness, but I think what he's saying is lives that are, that are, that are evidenced by progress and by growth and by maturity and deepening and, and encompassing God's goodness. And here's what I want to tell you to all of you who are about my age or a little bit older. I like to say it's for true for all, but I can't speak for all ages because it's just struck me mostly in the last year or so. 
we are we have the capacity to be on an exponential spiritual growth path that you I'm talking about those who are a little older now have not seen or known or understood just as I would suggest Paul did not see or understood fully at the beginning when he was younger. But a spiritual awakening and an awareness of God and what he is like and his character and, 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 and his magnificence and the love of Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit in ways that will allow you an exponential growth if you will open yourself to it. We are called by Christ to model what it means to be human. And to be human in Scripture is to have an understanding of our life in relationship to God and one another. Go ahead and put that slide up there if we, if we have it, Jeff, the one. We are called by Christ to model what it means to be human and to be a community of humans. All right, I'm probably going a little long. I want you to think about this, though. A couple more things. Can anyone do this alone? Can you grow up into God's likeness if that's the massive social game? And yet, and caregiving, we've, we've got that part of it down so well, and it's outstanding, and it's to be treasured. But for most of us, life catches us, and it's brutally hard, and, and it's like a rodeo bronc that bucks us off if we're fearful, if we're unfocused, if we're unprepared. And so we need soldiers, Peter, James, and John's, for the far journey. I wrote in my journal this week about the help I need, even as I uh, based on these glimpses into Paul's vision. And, and if you don't mind, I'll just read a few of those. My own reflections. I need confidence in God. I need a growing awareness of the sacred in all things. I need to become a champion of grace. I need partners who will puncture my self-illusions and help me burn away the lies that I tell myself and help me to see my idols before they spread. I need angels 
messengers from God who will remind me of the comforting presence of the Father in a world that is painful and unfair and unsettling and unspeakable. I need a generous, big tent view of other people. A heart for the experiences of others. I need to see God's love connected beyond my circles to the whole of life with a capacity for a love to 10x. I need an expanded mind that sees Christ in all things, in science, in technology, in the social sciences, in all the good things that human consciousness can conceive. And yet a joy and gratitude in the small things, the common things, even the mundane. Now personally, I often have this sense that while I have found the treasure, no doubt, I found the treasure many years ago, and I keep finding it, I bought the field. I have yet to fully sort through the treasure box to appreciate its value, to be consumed by its worth, to be transformed by its beauty. Some are describing our current time in society as an AI, artificial intelligence, super boom. I am wondering if the disciples of Christ aren't also positioned for a spiritual super boom. That's what Paul's describing for us. We won't receive it if we do not want it. And we are unlikely to experience it alone. So I suspect that you too need a few relationships of deep trust and transparency and transformation. You need help to discover and embrace the height and the depth and the length of this universal love, the alpha that preceded the creation of the world, the alpha that was evidenced throughout Scripture most profoundly in the cross and by the resurrection and will one day fully capture our consciousness along with every other human being that has ever lived. The one that captures our private life and our church life and our public life. The Alpha and the Omega. Don't you want to be a wide-eyed disciple? 
on both the receiving and the giving of this great social game. I pray you will.